We're doing this series in the book of Psalms, and today we're doing Psalm 115. If you uh, have a, the Bible app, you can look up the event on the bottom. You can click on event and click on the Groves event, and the text will be there, but we'll put it on the screen as well. Uh, on the app, you can change translations and stuff like that, and we're going to read it out of a couple different translations today. Um, but in, uh, in the book of Psalms, or it's this collection of 150 uh, poems that were put to music, and some of them just plainly said, this is put to music. Some of them said, this is to the tune of whatever, whatever. Uh, and they all have like a context that they uh, came out of. And some of them you see, like, uh, we wrote this when David was running away from the, the people who were trying to kill him. Or, and David is the guy who wrote most of the Psalms. And uh, David wrote this when he was in charge. Or David wrote this when he was really sad. And, and the Psalms have these different uh, emotions and feelings that are going on uh, so that I think, so that we learn uh, to be able to communicate with God in our different emotions and feelings. There's kind of a temptation that when we talk to God, uh, we put away the bad stuff or put away our angry stuff or put away the stuff that we know God would not approve of. Uh, but the Bible actually models a full and, uh, I'm going to say, open relationship with God where you give God everything about you that's good and everything about you that isn't. And you just kind of hand that all over and say, so God, what are we going to do with this? And God seems to actually welcome that kind of a conversation. Uh, so this psalm, uh, most people think, uh, most people that study this stuff and write books about it, think this psalm was written um, uh, at the end of the Babylonian exile. And just need to explain what that means. Uh, in the time of ancient Israel, say 600 B.C., 600 years before Jesus appeared, uh, what in the Bible this part's called the Old Testament. It's kind of a, it's a very, very ancient time. Uh, but the nation of Israel was kind of doing its thing. And another country that was more powerful came and said, uh, this looks like free labor. Let's go take all of them and bring them home to be our free label, free mm, labor. And so they went into the nation of Israel and kind of sacked them and brought the best and the brightest. Uh, the Bible actually says the best looking uh, and the smartest people, the most able-bodied. People that were not able-bodied and not smart and not good looking got to stay in Israel and the rest of them got exiled to uh, a completely different country. Like days walk away uh, to live in this other place. And when you would go in and sack another country, it was kind of the tradition that what happened was your gods beat their gods, because every country had its own gods. And the Babylonians actually went in and, and kind of sacked the temple, and they were, you can imagine them going through the temple, if you, uh, you can read about this in the scripture, but going into the temple, it's actually against what the scripture teaches to have an image of God. God's like, no, there's, I, I don't do any statues, no pictures, no nothing, I am the invisible God. I am the God above all the gods. Uh, I am the only true God. And, and so you could see them going in and trying to find their God, and it's just gone, which, which creates a great way to mock them, to say, hey, um, where's your God? You know, as they've lost the war, so the God that they have, this invisible God, apparently isn't as powerful as the gods that they brought from home. And they're like, now we're going to go back so you can live where our gods are in charge because our gods are strong and you can point to them. Look, there's one and there's one and there's one. And if you want a small version of that for your home, you can stop by the market and pick it up. And, and we serve these gods. And, and you can say, well, your gods 
suck. Like, our God is strong. And you're like, really? Then why are we here right now? And, and it was just, if you could imagine the uh, religious and national pride experience or humiliation experience that Israel had. So they went around 586, 587 B.C. into exile. Uh, and then around 538, they actually were allowed to, B.C., they were allowed to return home. And as they're walking out, they're allowed to go back and kind of rebuild their place, and there's new powers and, you know, all this kind of stuff was happening, political shifts. But 50 years is, is, like a, is more than a generation in that time. 50 years for us is, is very short. Like 50 years ago, it was the 70s. Uh, <laughs> but it was, uh, <laughs> it was 60s, I guess. But either way, some of us are very depressed in that moment. Uh, but there is, there's this, this kind of shift that would have happened where people didn't know what it was like to not live in exile. And where people who were their oppressors or their captors just grew up always having these people here who we could ridicule and who we could make fun of. And so on their way out, you can imagine them ridiculing a little more and putting them down a little more. And as Israel went back to where they were going, they kind of needed to not just rebuild their cities, not just rebuild their religious temples, not just rebuild their practices and their culture, but rebuild who they were. If you can imagine an entire country having to leave and then being allowed to go back, and it's not just rebuilding your home, it's rebuilding, and, and not just rebuilding the infrastructure, but rebuilding who we are as a people. And especially if who you are as a people is so connected to who your God is. Now, uh, the Psalms are always connected to music, and when I preached last, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I used uh, the song 40 by uh, the band U2, which is that I preached on Psalm 40. Now, Psalm 115, doesn't have, uh, it's not a U2 song. Uh, it, it's actually a much more aggressive song. Some of the Psalms are country songs, right? They're like, everything sucks, it's all going bad, my dog died, right? Like, it's my truck is my, my girlfriend trucked my smashed my truck for some reason. I'm not sure that's a crime, but everybody celebrates it, but whatever. Um, there, there's just a lot of bad stuff happening. That's country music. This one is actually, uh, and you're not going to believe me, but this is a rap song. Uh, and it's a very early rap song uh, before there was a such thing as rap. Um, because the words in here are very aggressive and very intolerant of its opponents. And so I'm going to read through this, uh, but as I read through, I'm actually going to read the message translation. Um, the Psalms were written originally in Hebrew, and so some of the meter and some of the rhyming doesn't work for us, but the message translation is written by, it's not a translation, it's a paraphrase, written by one person, a pastor named Eugene Peterson, and he kind of takes a little liberty. If words are close and they almost rhyme, he'll switch it so that they do rhyme and, and things like that, so he has a good time. But while I read it, so that you're going to, like, I don't want you to just hear the words. I want you to experience it. And so we're going to play, um, while I'm reading, uh, a song by a couple of guys that you love, DJ Snake and Little John. And <clears throat> it's a what? Yeah, Little John. <laughs> you, can tell, you can tell how this is going to go already. But uh, all right. So this is it. I'm going to read this from the message translation, and uh, if you want to follow along in your Bible app, you can. Uh, otherwise, I just want you to catch what's going on. It's going to mention the nation of Israel, 
which is the country that we're talking about. Then it's going to mention the house of Aaron, which were the, the priests and the people in charge. And then it's going to mention the people who fear God, who are the people who aren't by birth uh, Israelites, but they have, uh, they're kind of proselytes, proselytes. They've kind of moved or converted to become like the Israelites. So uh, let's go ahead and en- enjoy the reading of God's word this morning. Can we turn it up a bit? There we go, that's better. Not for our sake, God, not for our sake, but for your name's sake, show your glory. Do it on account of your merciful love. Do it on account of your faithful ways. Do it so none of the nations can say, where now is their God? Our God is in heaven, doing whatever he wants to do. Uh, Their gods are metal and wood, handmade in a basement shop, carved mouths that can't talk, painted eyes that can't see, tin ears that can't hear, molded noses that can't smell, hands that grasp, feet that, sorry, hands that can't grasp, feet that can't walk or run, throats that never utter a sound. And those who make them have become just like them. They have become just like the gods they trust. We're not done. (laughs) But you, Israel, put your trust in God. Trust your helper. Trust your ruler. Clan of Aaron, trust in God. Trust your ruler. Trust, Trust your helper. Trust your ruler. You who fear God, trust in God. Trust your helper. Trust your ruler. Oh God, remember us and bless us. Bless the families of Israel and Aaron and let God bless all who fear God. Bless the small, bless the great. Oh, let God enlarge your families, giving growth to you, giving growth to your children. May you be blessed by God, by God who made the heaven and earth. The heaven of heavens is for God, and he put us in charge of the earth. But there's just one more verse. And this is my favorite part, so we're going to sit here for a second. Dead people, they can't praise God. Not a word to be heard from those who are buried in the ground. But we, bless God, it says, oh yes, but I'm going to say, oh yeah. We bless him now. We bless him always. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> Patronizing applause is welcome here. Psalm 115 is my favorite of all the Psalms. Psalm 115 verse 3 is my favorite of all the verses in the Bible and has been uh, since around uh, the year 2000. Uh, I discovered this during my first semester of Bible college and it's just been definitive for me ever since. It hasn't had that soundtrack. That just came around two summers ago and it opened my life up even more as you can tell. It's broken down into five parts, and I want to walk through this together. 
Uh, but we're going to walk through it in the NIV version, uh, so we won't play the music every time I read through the NIV version. But let me read. The NIV version is a more of a uh, phrase-for-phrase translation. If you have an old-school King James, you found it in Grandma's House Bible, uh, or, or you have your own. I have my own. Uh, <laughs> that's not judging. But, uh, <laughs> but there is... Um, uh, King James is word for word, and that's why sometimes it's hard to read because they take the original language word and they switch it for English. Next word, switch it for English. And if you know, if you learn uh, Spanish, like we would say, there's a yellow bus, and, and instead you say el autobús. I don't know yellow. Okay, so the red bus, the autobús rojo. Um, <laughs> I don't know yellow yet. I'm only 35% in my app, but uh, yellow must be around 36. Oh, Lord, the, it like started here, and I took this jump. This is the first three verses uh, from the NIV, which is phrase for phrase, so it makes a little more sense. Phrase in original language, phrase in English. It says, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, because of your love and faithfulness. And if you can hear a nation being rebuilt, saying, we don't want to be famous, we want our God to be famous. Why do the nations say, where is their God? With the answer is obvious, because all the other nations have their gods, and your God is invisible. And when your temple is destroyed, you, we don't even have a place that we can point to that where we go to worship our God. Like today, the Jewish temple is destroyed. The, the, the western wall where they put prayers in, and they, it's the only, there's like a wall of the temple that's left. And so there's, where is your God? And verse 3 says, our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Some new NAB says he does whatever pleases him. I like old NIV, uh, pre-1990, that says, our God does whatever he pleases. There's this humility in the start of this when they're trying to build the national identity and they're very much um, like not a culture and they're saying, we don't want to be famous, we want our God to be famous. May God's name be famous. And your name for them was, was everything. It was your essence, your character. It wasn't just something that like your parents picked for you. Names had meaning. If, if your parents thought you were going to be smart, they named you smart. Uh, if they thought you were terrible uh, or inconvenient, you know, youngest kids, they said, uh, in, uh, surprise, like sometimes that was your name. Um, <laughs> uh, they were much more bold than we are today. Today we just like name them whatever's trendy. But um, the... the Verse 2 and 3 become this response to the nations who are talking to them because they say, your gods, I can see them. Our God, you can't see him. And our God can't be bothered with your statues because he's in heaven doing whatever he wants. Whereas you have these sacrifices and manipulations and you're trying to get your God to do what you want. Our God does whatever he wants. Which doesn't mean that God is random. Like God isn't just doing random stuff like, oh, I'm going to do this now, I'm going to do that. Uh, it, it really means that God is unstoppable. The things that God wants, God does. There isn't something that you can do to stop God. And, and this actually goes further and further in the New Testament where it actually says there's nothing you can do to stop God from pursuing you, from loving you, from wanting a relationship with you. Like, there's nothing that can actually stop God. And so it's, it actually says like, you say our God is missing, and we say our God is everywhere. He's powerful. And then it goes through this mocking of the uh, gods of all the nations that are around them, the pagan nations, where it says, 
Uh, but their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths, but they can't speak. These statues. Uh, they, uh, they have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they can't smell. They have hands, but they can't feel. But they have feet, but they cannot walk. Uh, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. It actually goes through like, uh, you've got all of these gods, and you make them with able bodies and sensory-like features, and they are completely useless. It kind of points out the insufficiency of the system that you have. Uh, this, so you know, when we lean into this, uh, we, I don't think that we worship statues as much in our culture today. But people do worship things that are not the God of the heavens that do, does whatever he pleases. Uh, people will worship um, themselves, or people will worship um, goals in their life, or they'll worship um, other humans that they're in relationship uh, with, or sometimes their children. Uh, it is hilarious. Like I, okay, let's get really real. I go to these things. My daughter had to leave today because she's um, beating kids up at Heritage today. It's, uh, I don't, like if you have a son and he plays basketball, it's basketball. Uh, if you have a daughter, it's MMA with a ball. It is so much better. Uh, but they, they, they knock each other down, and then they go, hmm, and walk away. And, and the boys would be like, hey, it's all right, man. We're all in this together. And, and the girls, it's fantastic. So um, I don't know why people watch uh, boys basketball. I've never seen a girl flop, not once in my life. You watch the World Cup and all of them, they're like running, suddenly shot. Ah, right? Okay. I'm there, and there's parents who will talk, and they've uh, turned their goal of their life instead of whatever goal they had. Their goal of their life is to do the activities that their child wants to do. Uh, and they've, it's sometimes driven out of this fear of missing out. Uh, and, and they're like, My, we have to do all these things. And then they talk about them with desperation. Like, oh, this is, uh, we spent $2,700 so our kid could play sports every weekend. And, and but they, they talk about it as if it's terrible. What that is, is sacrifice for a God that you've chosen. Does that make sense? And I'm not judging, like you can knock yourself out. Uh, but to say that, you, uh, to worship something is to ascribe worth to it, right? So you have taken real monetary value, invested in it, taken your schedule and eliminated it, and you've put it into something else. So you know, this is the thing that preachers aren't supposed to talk about, because I think that uh, this I think this is one of the main gods, and we're supposed to pretend it's cool so that you keep coming to church. But whatever, it's a god. Um, and it competes with Yahweh God, and so, you know, the whole, that's a sin. Um, but this, and, and I don't think this is necessarily everyone's god. Uh, some of you uh, worship yourselves at the expense of your children. Uh, and, and the, so it works all the way around, and this isn't trying to be a guilt thing. What this is, is you look at the things in your life that you put worth into and you put time into, but the result of that is inept. It's like these gods. They has the form of something that's good, but you end up not feeling good about what's going on. About not to, the, the sports thing is just something I saw yesterday, it, so it's funny. But uh, Then in verse 8, it actually gives the most aggressive prophecy, I think, uh, in the whole of this song. It says, those who make them... <laughs> will become, uh, sorry, 
Those who make them will become like them, and so will all who trust in them. It's saying these gods are useless and stupid, and they look like something useful, and they're not. And the people who make them and the people who worship them will become the same. It is wildly aggressive to pray against the people who worship a God that's not your God. I hope you get exactly what you're looking for. And I hope you become just like those gods that I just finished saying were the most ridiculous things in the culture that exists today. That's a, this aggressive prophecy or this aggressive prayer that goes in the song. So you can see why this becomes more of a rap battle situation uh, than this is not a country song. This isn't like, right? This is, you can tell I do a lot of country, but uh, this is very much like, I'm awesome, you're not. What you serve is stupid. What you're going to be is stupid, all right? This is very much like a your mom kind of rap, all right? I'm sure they don't say mom. Little John probably says uh, yo mama, all right? So there's this pattern that happens, and then there's a turn back to their own people, where it says, all you Israelites, the entire nation, trust in the Lord. This is part three. All you Israelites, trust in the Lord, because He is their help and shield. The house of Aaron, trust in the Lord, because He is their help and shield. Uh, You who fear Him, trust in the Lord, for He is their help and shield. And there's this pattern that happens with the house of Israel, which would be the chosen people, or the insiders, and then there's the leaders... The religious leaders would be the house of Aaron. They were all descended from a man named Aaron. And then there was the outsiders as well. And there's, so there's this inclusive part of the poem that calls them away from what they just described. That's stupid. Those people are stupid. You turn towards God. The God that's in heaven that does whatever he pleases or does whatever pleases him. You turn towards him. You serve him. And it actually says that it calls the insiders, the leaders, the outsiders, everybody, all-inclusive. If you're a part of this team, put your trust in because God will help you and God will shield you. Because the Lord remembers us. Uh, This is the next part four. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He blesses His people Israel. He will bless the house of Israel. He, or of Aaron, sorry. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. So there's this, if you can imagine, they were in exile, and now they're returning, and their song is, those people are stupid, our God is awesome, and our God remembers us. That statement, because if you lived, if you can imagine, if you were exiled, and you wonder, does God even remember that I exist? This God that we thought we had a relationship, does He even know that we're over here? And so the celebration becomes, God does remember us. Like God does, like He hasn't forgotten about us. It's a huge and wonderful deal when you've been in a terrible situation, you've been there and you wonder. You have, maybe you haven't been there for 50 years, maybe it was a short time period, but you wonder, is God even paying attention to what's going on here? And then eventually things start turning around for you and you say, God is paying attention to me. Like life is not terrible. The people who told me that my God is stupid because of my circumstances, they are actually stupid. I'm awesome. And my God is awesome. 
And my God remembers my name. And, and he's working for my blessing. It says, may the Lord cause you to flourish. That both you and your children. So not just, like this is flourish is serious because they're like, we want our God to turn things on for us. To make things work out for us in such a way that it becomes like a generational momentum where things go really well for us as we're moving back and establishing our people in contrast to the nations around us. And then our children are going to live into that even more. We're going to build a foundation so they can take a step past us. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And then there's this interesting transition in the last part where it says the heavens belong to God, but the earth has been given to mankind. And remember, when they say who or where is your God, our God is in heaven, doing whatever pleases him. And the heavens all belong to him. So the stories you tell about your gods when you're on the shelf and you're like, this is this God and this is this God, and here's a legend about them or uh, some mythology about them. Our God is actually the one who is in heaven. Your God exists in stories. Our God actually exists for real in a place and does what he feels. Your gods are restricted to like carnal desires and conflict between other gods and the struggle. And our God does not ever experience that. Yet our God decided to give all of creation to us. So this is, creation is a place that God has entrusted to his people. Which means our treatment of that reflects on our relationship with the giver. Right? When someone gives you a gift, if they're an important person in your life, that gift is different than someone who you don't know. You will honor them by treating that gift specially. And I don't think this, like, there is some, like, environmentalism in this, but it's not that we don't touch anything on the gift. Like, if you've had a good friend that gave you running shoes and you're like, I'm never putting these on my feet, right? They would say, well, that kind of defeats the whole purpose of why I gave you, like, put them on and go somewhere. Like, I believed in you going somewhere. And when God gives us the earth, the point isn't that we worship it, it's that we use it to show our appreciation of the giver. Then, five or six hundred years after this is written, Jesus shows up, which is God appearing in earthly form. Like Jesus put on a body that we know bodies are made out of the same dirt and dust, like bodies decay and return to the earth, and this is we have this relationship with the earth. Our physical beings have this relationship with the earth. And Jesus shows up. If you can imagine just for a second, a people group that says, our God's in heaven, and we are here. And it's so different, and he's so awesome. And then God says, hey, can I move into the neighborhood? It's insane. Like, I think we kind of get used to Jesus. Like, yeah, Jesus was here. He's a good guy, you know, carried a sheep around and got baptized and makes us get baptized. <laughs> when Jesus appears on the scene, it's God saying, I'm not just staying up here and doing whatever I please. I'm coming down there. I'm going to do whatever I please among you. Watch this. And in the background, you suddenly hear little John and DJ Snake. I think wherever Jesus walked, it was like, well right like just all the time if someone will actually if you make 
YouTubes, if you would remix Jesus of Nazareth, you can go on YouTube and get Jesus of Nazareth. Put like hard rap songs behind it. It's perfect. If you make that, uh, I will share it everywhere. Like I will, it will become my song of the summer. Here's how it ends. It is not the dead who praise the Lord. Who are the dead? The people who worship the other gods, who have eyes but can't see, ears but can't hear. Those, those people, they're dead. They're nothing. They're going nowhere. It's not them that praise the Lord. Uh, those who go down to the place of silence. It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Other translations will finish with the word hallelujah, which is like the Hebrew for praise the Lord. We are put here on earth while God is in heaven. And we know the story is going to advance to the place where God comes to earth. But there's this aggressive song in the middle of the book of Psalms that actually calls us to worship God because of the relationship that God has set up with us and the relationship that we have with the things of the world because we find them to be dead. We find them to have form but no function. We find them not to be useful for the actual blessing of our lives. They might give some kind of sense of belonging or some kind of sense of identity, like I worship this God, the tiki God. You know, like here we go. I buy it at Target and I bring it home and worship it. Uh, I know that doesn't make any sense to us, but it's, it is real. And when we worship God, we say we recognize that those things are made by us, but we are made by our God. And those things bring us no value, but our God sees so much value in us that he becomes like us. The only God, the only epic story where the God sacrifices everything to become like us. Every other story says, you sacrifice everything. You put everything down on the line. You have like death to all that you are and all that you want so that you can impress the God. But in the Christian story, the God wants so bad to have relationship with you that he puts his own self to death. And we think that that's the end of the story. And then Jesus resurrects. And so the story is actually not about worshiping so that you can live longer so that you don't die. The story is actually about you die to the things of the world and to the things that hold on to you and to the things that the other gods that want to control you so that you can live. So that the story of Christianity, when it says we worship God both now and forever or forevermore, it's actually forevermore. For people who are followers of Jesus, when you worship God together in this place this morning, you're experiencing moments that you will experience for the rest of your life. It's those times when you're praying and you just feel like God is connected. The times you read your scripture and you've got the right song playing in the background and you feel like God is just speaking to you. That is the experience of life eternal. And in those moments, you think that everything else around you is fleeting. Everything, you else, everything else around you, you're like, I, why do I need those things? Because this thing keeps me so close to God, I want to stay here forever. Which is the promise of praising God both now and forevermore. We're going to 
praise God together right now. Let's stand. I'm going to pray a short prayer, turning our hearts towards Him. If you don't uh, know God, if you've never put your full faith and trust in God, I would encourage you to uh, have a conversation with God about that today. We have resources at the go table or the go cart at the back, uh, and the people there can help you have a conversation with you about what that means. But we would encourage you to have that relationship with God because you are created to have eyes that see, ears that hear, and hose that smells. You're created to be blessed by God. And so many of us are chasing false things and we're running away from God's blessing. And we'd encourage you to turn and take everything that's good about you and everything that's bad about you, everything that's strong and everything that's terrible, and just run towards God and just see what he does with your life in his hands. Let's pray. Our God, we give ourselves to you completely today. You are in heaven and you do whatever you please. And so I would pray that it would please you today to move in our hearts, that it would please you today to move among us as a group, but also as individuals in such a way that you call us to yourself in a radical commitment, in a radical like giving up of all these other gods that compete for our attention and compete for our affection. And just take us fully, God, into yourself. May we not have a form that has no function, but may we be true children of God, the God who lives in heaven while we live on earth, the God who came to earth, who died to pay the price for our sin, to resurrected to show his victory over everything that could keep us from God. Everything that could keep us from God's love is defeated in Jesus' life, his death, and his bodily resurrection. As we worship you now, God, we pray that you would receive us, that it wouldn't be about us, not to us be any glory, but to your name be all the glory this morning. Amen.